We'll turn out to read the Word of God in the New Testament in the first letter of Peter and in chapter 1, reading at the beginning of the chapter. First Peter 1 and at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have, that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. I mean, a son is God's word. We trust that he will bless to us our reading from it. Last Lord's Day, we considered the cross of the Lord Jesus in the context of Easter Sunday uh, and the way in which life was reproduced because he died on the cross and he was raised again. Uh, and as we continue to hold that in the background, we want to think of the way in which there are defining moments in all of our lives, things that happen to us, places that we go to, and events that take place in different locations. And these are the kinds of things that form our character and shape our lives. And today I want us to begin to see the way in which what Jesus did on the cross and especially the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is not just a defining moment for him, but it is a defining moment for those who are the children of God. And when you read the letter, 
we have, of course, we have a writer. And the writer is Peter, and he himself has been defined by various things that took place in his own life. He is somebody who was called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. That was a defining moment. He is somebody who had the privilege of being on the mountain of transfiguration and saw the glory of the Lord Jesus. That was a defining moment. He was also somebody who failed the Lord Jesus when he denied him. That was a defining moment. He was one of the first on the morning of the resurrection to see the empty tomb. That was truly defining. And in Acts chapter 2, in the very very birth of, 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 the, of the church, there we have Peter proclaiming the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So when we begin to listen to this writer, he has so many things added to who he is by these key events in his life that we have to hear what he has to say. Because in the providence of God, And in the word of God, we have the things that flow from him as somebody sent by God to speak to us. And along with the writer, of course, we have the readers. Like yourselves, we're hearing, we're reading. They were the hearers initially. They are chosen by God in verse 1. They are privileged themselves. They are chosen because God planned their salvation before the world was in the foreknowledge of God. But here they are in the world called to give obedience to the Lord Jesus. And as they are called to do so, they are now beginning to struggle in that obedience. They are struggling to to continue to live for the Lord Jesus. And they are very conscious in their hearts. Not just that they are beginning to slip and to fail but they are very conscious that they are scattered all over the world. And because of these things that define them, they are ready to hear the message that God has given to Peter for them. And in that way today, we want to take these words from this great writer to these hearers. And we want to think of the resurrection and the assurance of faith. We want to know today that we have faith and we want to be encouraged today in the faith that we have to hold on to it and we'll do that when we understand what the word of God says. The resurrection and the assurance of faith. I want us to notice first of all that we have praise in the passage. We're thinking especially of verses 3 to 5. We have praise and after the introduction He begins the letter proper in verse number three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When God blesses us, he empowers us in our hearts to do what he wants us to do. When we bless God, I've called for God to be blessed. It's the means of praising him. We cannot enable God to do anything. We cannot persuade God to do anything. But we praise him for who he is. And at the basic level, when we're called to bless God, 
It seems it means very simply to speak well of or favorably about somebody. So he begins with a letter calling them to the praise of God, to speak well of this God, and to lift this God up in their worship and in their hearing so that they will remember that they are in the presence of this God. And he is doing that following the example of the people of God in the Old Testament. We read the whole of the Psalms and so often we come across this whole idea of blessed be the Lord God of Israel. We go back to the days of Noah and he is saying in Genesis 9, blessed be the God of Shem. We continue the story and we read about Abraham's servant and he's saying in chapter 24 of Genesis, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. We see Solomon in, in being installed as king in Israel and he is giving thanks for the God of Israel who has fulfilled his promises. And you see the pattern. Every time they are called to praise God, he is the God of someone or the God who has done something. He is the God of the Exodus. He has taken his people out of Egypt. But he is always the God with respect to what he has done for people. And of course, that's at the very center of our salvation. When salvation comes to us, we are the people of God, and he is our God. But we don't address him as the one who is our God. In that sense, when we ask people to praise and to bless God, we don't ask them to bless the God of Abraham. We do something very different. And that is not to say that when we reflect upon our own lives, that we can go back to people and we can say, blessed be the God of my father, or blessed be the God of my neighbor, or blessed be the God of my friend across the road. Of course, these things made an impact upon us. And God came through their lives, and we bless God and we praise God because he did that. But here we have a development. It's a development that is exclusive to the New Testament. And the development we have in the way in which God is described as the God is to be blessed in verse number three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's hugely significant. He's beginning this letter by drawing their attention away from the Exodus, away from their history, even away from what they're going through in the world and taking him immediately to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he is doing so, he is doing so by describing God as the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And both of these elements come together to sum up for the readers exactly who this God is and who this Jesus is. He is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the God whom Jesus worshipped. He is the God whom Jesus lived for. 
He is the God who lived his life according to the foreknowledge and determinate counsel of God. He lived his life in providence every day and everything that he did and wherever he went, he was living in the providence of God. God is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And for ourselves, there is so much of a lesson in that. That for Jesus Christ, everything that he did, everywhere he went, was never without being within the providence and purpose of God. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve, he says to the devil in the wilderness. God is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is also the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Father who who sent the Son into the world. And he is the Son who came because the Father sent him. He is the Father whose will the Son is doing in this world. He is the Son. It is his food and his drink to do the will of the one who sent me. God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when our Lord Jesus Christ comes to the Garden of Gethsemane on the way to the cross at Calvary, he is praying to the Father to take from him, if possible, this cup that the Father has given to him. He is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is his Father on Calvary's cross as much as he was in the mansion in Bethlehem. He is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is also the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ in his resurrection. And we hear the words of Psalm number 2 applied to Jesus by, by Paul in Acts chapter 13. You are my son, says the Father to Jesus. Today I have begotten you. I have set my king upon Zion. So I hear this glorious description of this God. And it captures everything about this Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus that Peter describes on that very moment in Acts chapter 2. That God has made this Jesus whom you have crucified. He has made him what? Both Lord and Christ. He can speak like this because he's been there. And he can speak like this because this is full of meaning for us. And today in in our worship, we're coming to focus on the passion of the Son of God, whose Father is God, and to sonship brought him into the depths of Calvary's cross and the tomb, and brought him at last to return to glory, to be at his Father's side. And so today, in my New Testament and in my life of faith, I I don't say that, blessed be the God of Abraham. I have my attention drawn and captured every day. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It makes my life Christ-centered, not people-centered. It makes my life Christ-centered and not self-centered. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.
And let's praise him today as we proceed. Let our hearts be full that here we have a person of great significance, of the greatest of significance, that had events in his life that were of significance for himself, but also of great significance for us. The praise. Secondly, we have participation. Here is this Lord Jesus Christ. How can I be with him? How can I be part of of what the defining moments in his life mean? How can I be part of that? Not by anything I can do myself. No amount of church attendance, no amount of time spent reading my Bible, no amount of time on my knees praying to God, great and necessary as these things are, no amount of these things will give me, will take me from here and define me according to how Jesus is defined. But God does it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He has caused us to be born again. Caused us to have a new start. There are two things of particular interest, along with many other things. But when we read these words, caused us to be born again, the very word itself brings us to think of Genesis and of creation. That's the very meaning behind the word. So when when he has caused us to be born again, he has caused a new creation. He has caused a new Genesis so that as God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter 1 and created Adam and Eve in his own image, so now in this act of God, which defines the the readers and the hearers of this letter, in this act of God, there is a new genesis, a new creation. And such it is that there's a line drawn with the old so that there is a rising again, there is the newness that comes through the intervention of God. And along with that, there is the important distinction that when he uses the word that's translated being born again, what it really means is that there is a new begetting. In other words, he is speaking about conception rather than birth. And that's crucial to the way in which he explains what he's doing here. We know that naturally there can be no birth without conception. But we also know that birth is the visible. And we know that conception is invisible. In the mystery of God, there is, there is formed in, in the womb of, of, of the woman, there is formed that which begins to grow into a child that is to be born sometime later. There is the conception in all of its mystery. And we're coming to that, but it is critical because it reminds me that what is of greater importance than what happens to me when God brings me to be a child of God, what is of greater importance is what God did in the resurrection of Jesus. That's where the real begetting takes place. 
and in the mystery of all of the ways in which God raised Jesus from the dead, there is that connection that, that links who we are as the children of God with all that he was and all that he became and all that was true about him. And because of that new genesis, new creation, because of that begetting, because of of the conception of new life that begins to grow and to flourish, because of that there is a living hope. And not a hope that speaks about what may be sigh and may be snow, what may not happen at all. It is a hope that is firmly fixed on the promises of God and on the certainty of these promises. And it is why Paul will say to the church in, in Corinth, when they're saying, why did you not come when you, when you said you were coming? And he goes on to, to explain to them all about the promise of God. And he comes to make this great statement that all of the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. And so Peter is of the same mind. The promises of God, everything comes together as this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And where there, where there is life, there is hope for sure. But where there is this conception on the part of God, there is that throbbing, that pulsating of that life in the hearts of those who have now become the children of God. And their whole lives are changed around in such a way that their focus now becomes the focus of Peter. Their perspective is not what happens around them. Their perspective is what happened to the Lord Jesus and where he is. And what they do and what happens around them is determined by their understanding and always informed by this overview that they have of the life of faith that they have in the Lord Jesus. A living hope. And today, if we are the children of God, we will have this living hope. And you might say you're not feeling it. You might say you're not knowing it. But where there is life, there is hope. And to a greater or lesser degree, as the children of God, the life of God is in our hearts. And that life gives to us the hope of glory to a living hope. And all of that is connected to the resurrection of Christ from the dead and and especially it is on the basis of the great mercy of God. When life is conceived naturally, it is done so in the context of an intimate loving relationship. It's fundamental to the biblical picture that we have of conception of children and being born into the world. And when we come to think of the way in which we become the children of God, nothing less than that do we find and nothing less than that will do. 
because here we have the great mercy of God. And yes, it is that mercy that the heart of God goes out to us in our need. But it is especially the Old Testament idea of mercy which takes us back to the love of God where God has committed himself to to save his people and where in his mercy and in his devotion to his commitment he ensures every day that the circumstances are such that his love for his people that is fixed upon them to make them his children in this world that is his devotion to that purpose so that it is sure and certain so that when I hear about the great mercy of God I see the great love of God and I see mercy as its companion where God is ensuring through his mercy that his loving purpose will be achieved and accomplished and because of all of that they are begotten again, born again to a living hope. The participation to know today that as the children of God we are loved by God. To know today that in verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, that as surely as he is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he becomes our God and our Father in Jesus Christ. And based upon everything that Jesus has done. So that when I go back to the tomb on the resurrection morning and I hear the news that he is not here, he is risen. I see a singular resurrection. There is one person that is raised from the dead. But then I begin to realize that it has more than singular significance. It has more than singular implications that because he is raised from the dead, that all of the people of God have their life in him. And so that collectively today we can take ourselves because of the grace of God and put ourselves with Jesus when he is raised from the dead. That's how significant the resurrection is. The only life that God can give me is the life that there is in the resurrected person of the Lord Jesus as the Savior of the world, the one who has accomplished the will of the Father. And because of that great participation in in what God has done in Jesus, it gives me two anchor points that help me to give an orientation to my life every day. And the first anchor point, we already noticed, it is the way in which there is that living hope. And the second anchor point is the resurrection of Jesus more than his death. His death lies behind it, of course. But I have these two anchor points and how that changes my life. How that gives me perspective. When I go through this coming weekend and I will face challenges, I will face things that will 
knock me flat. I will face things that will drain the energy from me. When all of that happens, I remember where I'm anchored. And it changes my view of these things. It changes how I respond to these things. It simply changes how I live my whole life. The participation. How much do you feel today the powerful influence of the saving work of God that gives to you a sense of that resurrection life that brings truth and meaning personally to the claim that Jesus made when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. But whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. If we are participating in what God has done in his family with his children, then we will appreciate all of that and will be glad and thankful that God raised Jesus from the dead. The participation. And finally, there is protection. I'm afraid, after all, I'm afraid that my faith will fail. I'm afraid that through all of this testing that God will do, that I won't be able to live through all of these things. I'm afraid that my faith will fail. I get tired, so I'm afraid that I'll stop. What does this great writer have to say to the people who are afraid that they will fail? God has done all of this for this purpose in verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. There's a father's inheritance. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We go to the Old Testament and and. God promised Abraham when he preached the gospel to him, I will give you this land and give this land to your offspring, to to your family in the future. That was their inheritance. God told Joshua, go and and allot the land to the people of, of God, to the children of Israel. This is my promise to them. Let them enter into their inheritance. But when I read the New Testament, I come across Things like what Paul says in Romans chapter 4 where he speaks of the way in which Abraham was told that he was going to be heir of the world. So what Abraham was given was, was not the land of Israel. It's something much more than that. It is the new heavens and the new earth. And along with that, Paul, the same Paul says in Romans 8, that we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We have an inheritance which is the whole wealth of the riches of the glory of the treasure that Jesus has sealed in his death and resurrection for a lost world which they will enjoy in the presence of God the Father. And we can imagine all the greatest and wealthiest people in this world but nothing can compare and we cannot begin to measure The size, the largeness of of this, the great wealth of this inheritance. And I can read in this world of a great inheritance that's 
flittered away and that, that disappeared before those who were due to receive it can actually receive it. But this father's inheritance is such that it will last forever and it is protected forever by him. It is imperishable. It cannot decay, it cannot fall apart. We might fall apart, but this inheritance cannot be destroyed. It is imperishable. It is undefiled. In other words, it can never become impure. It's free from impurity. God has received it, and it will never become impure. And it is unfading. It will never fade away. The Father's inheritance, the very character of it is such that it is there and it is kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for you until you arrive to enjoy it. Secured, ring-fenced by God so that nothing can touch it and so that in all of its fullness it is there waiting for you. The Father's protected inheritance, the security of it. And today we, we rejoice in, in the hope of the people of God, those of this living hope. And however much we may be afraid as we live a life of faith in the world, we have this assurance and this insurance policy that our inheritance is safe and secure untouchable, imperishable, incorruptible. It is kept by God himself. The Father's secure inheritance. And along with that, there is the Father's protection of his people so that they will at last enjoy their inheritance who are kept by God's power or being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The power of God. How great is the power of God? In, in Paul's view, the greatness of the power of God is seen in this resurrection of Jesus. And in accordance with the, the measure of the power of God, that power which raised up Jesus from the dead is the power which guards the children of God today. Why should we fear when the power of God is such a guardian, kept, guarded through faith? Interestingly, it's not by faith, but it is through faith. And through faith, in a sense, going through the trials of faith that he speaks of. In other words, wherever my journey takes me as the child of God, I am guarded by his power in all of these areas of life. Where my faith is tried, 
where I become tired because the storms of the life of faith are so great. Where my spiritual energy is drained from me. In all of these moments, the power of God sustains and upholds and gives strength. And I have the picture of the loving Father who comes to take the hand of his loving child when they are beginning to falter and all the power of the Father is, is communicated to the child that is faltering, lifting up and carrying if necessary and leading on. There is the security of the family inheritance because it is protected by God. And there is the security of the life of faith. Let's not be fearful today of following the Lord Jesus. Let's have faith to trust in his name and let's go on trusting in him him as those who are faithful to him. And as surely as we enjoy the life experience of the living hope in our hearts at the very beginning of our journey of faith, so we will continue to experience his power in our lives from day to day as he guards us, as he keeps us for a salvation ready to be revealed. It's all complete. I go, says Jesus, to prepare a place for you. It's all ready. The riches, the wealth is there. And he will take us safely as his children into the family home to enjoy his purchased inheritance. May God encourage us, may he give us that assurance and that comfort in our hearts to believe, to continue in our faith and to live life for his glory, expecting and waiting the very glory that he has promised to give to us. May God bless his word. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we rejoice in you and in your salvation. We are thankful for how secure the life of faith is. And so often we are fearful of failing and of our own failings. But we are thankful that you are the God who, with your power, will guard and will keep and will protect and will guide and will lead your children ultimately safely home to enjoy the fullness of everything that you have already prepared for them. So bless your word to us and hear our prayer and go before us for Jesus' sake. Amen. The closing psalm is psalm number 72 and these familiar words at the end of that psalm, psalm number 72, we're singing at verse 16 down, well the middle of verse 16 down to the end of the psalm. On page 314, the city shall be flourishing, her citizens abound, and number shall like to the grass that grows upon the ground. From these words to the end of the psalm, to God's praise. The city shall be flourishing, her In number shall 
Stand for the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.